Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Kimball. Here are a few headlines from tech-oriented sites that appeared over the past two weeks or so. Spoiler warning, they will probably not make you feel good. Quote, precise location is giving your coordinates away to apps. Quote, Oracle facing class action over brokering personal data. Quote, Meta offers $37.5 million to settle location tracking lawsuit. Quote, FTC sues firm allegedly selling sensitive data on abortion clinic visits. Quote, 18 top reproductive health apps share your info. Quote, Hikvision cameras still vulnerable with critical bug. Those, by the way, are the kinds of cameras that people tend to have in their homes as baby monitors, security monitors, etc. Over 80 million of them are currently subject to a critical bug which lets others access and take over the use of those cameras. There are, sadly, many more headlines of this ilk, but you get the idea. In the face of this sad and, in the opinion of many security experts, dangerous set of situations facing us who live in an increasingly digital world, what can we do to protect ourselves, at least a little bit? Obviously, the ultimate answer is a legal one. Governments need to regulate practices that are used by tech companies and data brokers that compromise personal privacy, and to do so in a well-thought-out and comprehensive way. While we're waiting for that to happen, and it could be a long wait, there are some things that we can do as individuals. Regular listeners have heard many of these suggestions before. Set the privacy and location settings on our electronic devices and apps to work the way we want them to work for us, not the way manufacturers want them to work for their benefit and our loss of personal privacy. Whenever we can, leave portable devices like cell phones at home. They can't reveal where we are or who we're with or what we're doing if they're not with us and continually broadcasting information about our activities. If we must carry those devices, we should turn them off whenever we can. Organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the Electronic Privacy Information Center have very good information about what we as individuals can do to help protect ourselves. We'll put links to those sites on the pages for today's program in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. And then there is encryption. Encryption can be a very powerful tool to protect personal communication and privacy. You can tell how effective it can be by the number of times the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have screamed that encryption is a curse upon society because it might be used by terrorists and child pornographers and other bad people. To some extent, that could be true, though to this day, no agency in this country or any other has been able to prove those assertions in any scientific or systematic way. But what we do know about encryption is that it's used extensively on the web today to make it possible for us, for example, to communicate securely with our online bank accounts, to access our personal medical records securely, to make an online purchase securely, and so much more. In fact, anytime we use a website that begins HTTPS 
and we should always use sites whose addresses begin that way, we're communicating with that site using encryption. The S in HTTPS stands for secure. So what is encryption? And is it something that we as individuals can use to keep our own communications, our communications with family and friends or with business colleagues or whatever, secure? Recall that encryption is simply a way of sending a message that no one can read if they don't have the key that, figuratively speaking, unlocks the message and transforms it into readable form. If you send a love letter to your significant other that you didn't want anyone else to read, for example, you might move all the letters two places to the right in the alphabet so that the letter A in the love note would actually mean C, the letter B would mean D, and so on. Your significant other would know that's the code that you two use, and so could easily read the letter and his or her heart would leap. Anyone else wouldn't be able to make sense of it. This is, of course, a trivial example, but you get the idea. Over time, much more sophisticated ways to send secret, or encrypted, messages have been developed. Since the advent of the internet as a primary means to communicate, encryption has grown tremendously fast. But in every case, there has to be some way for the receiver of an encoded message to get the key that the sender is using so the recipient can then decode the message, but no one else can. So here's today's technical question. What would happen if a government decided to ban encryption, or more likely, simply demanded that the government be able to get the key to decipher any communication sent by anyone at any time? The answer is that any message any of us sent, no matter how we tried to protect its content, would be available for the government to read. In effect, personal privacy in our personal communications would be impossible. We've heard these calls from our government and others for decades. In the mid-1990s, in 2015, and again today. In 2015, a group of what we can fairly say was made up of the best private security experts and academic experts in the U.S created a report entitled, quote, Keys Under Doormats, Mandating Insecurity by Requiring Government Access to All Data and Communications, end quote. In this report, they refer to that type of government access to our personal communications as, quote, exceptional access mechanisms, end quote. Here's what they concluded in that 2015 report, quote, today, we're again hearing calls for regulation to mandate the provision of exceptional access mechanisms. In this report, a group of computer scientists and security experts, many of whom participated in a 1997 study of these same topics, has convened to explore the likely effects of imposing extraordinary access mandates. We've found that the damage that could be caused by law enforcement exceptional access requirements would be even greater today than it would have been 20 years ago." End quote. And we think it's fair to say that conclusion is still even more accurate in our increasingly digital world today. And we'll do our best to look at exactly why and at how we as individuals might use encryption in our personal communications. Right here, 
on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.